Hello, everyone. I am back after a very, very short hiatus, uh, but I'm, I'm pleased to be with you. And joining me today is uh, a colleague from the Institute of Race Relations joining us for our fan podcast today. Sarah Gong here for the Taking the Stand episode where we continue the rule of law discussion. Uh, Sarah, welcome and thank you for being here with us. Thanks, Herman. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Right. So for those of you who might be new to the series here, um, Taking the Stand is essentially a podcast about trying to make the law uh, about you, about your freedom, uh, because, you know, we feel that has not always been the case. And sometimes we look at some of the legal work, law work and litigation work that we've been doing. And other times we are just looking at, you know, things that will help people understand the law better in South Africa. And one of these phrases that gets trot now, trotted out so often is this idea of the rule of law. It's, a very, it's sometimes a bit of a fuzzy concept, but uh, uh, an English uh, judge, Lord Bingham, wrote a book in which he essentially spent his uh, the 140 or so pages on trying to understand what does the rule of law consist of, and he identified eight points, and the first one being accessibility, the second one being that it should be about laws and rules, not discretion, thirdly, it should be about equality before the law, fourthly, it should be about the judicious and appropriate exercise of power, and then we are today reaching point number five, which is human rights. Now, Sarah, for, uh, to, to give a brief understanding what do we base the rule, or not the rule of law, um, human rights on in South Africa? What, what's the, the, the strongest legal defense thingy that South Africans have to rely on for their human rights? Well, we essentially, it's, it's the cornerstone of the, uh, of the Constitution because there are inalienable rights accorded to individuals and their rights that I mean ideally what you should be entitled to to preserve your liberty your freedom your right to, to speak freely your your uh, religious observance which religions you follow etc etc and sexual preference sexual orientation all of those sorts of things that really were crucial to the freedom with which the could be the freedom <laughs> with which the um the the, the a, a human being can live in society and of course it's the contrast with the apartheid era which was very distinctly anti-human rights and that such rights as there were were largely largely only for the white population the black population was denied what would today be considered rights just untenable absolutely untenable so that's really the cornerstone mm -hmm. it's, it's it's that protection of the individual Excellent. Sorry, I do apologize to everyone. My my four-month-old pup just slightly lost his mind there, but I'm sure he'll find it somewhere with a chew toy. Um, and I, I must say, sorry, that's the, the the point that you touched on there at the end, I think, is is quite important because people often in South Africa think um in this time of cynical politics that you know, oh, the constitution, the bill of rights, the 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 document that 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 you know, writes down, codifies this human rights thing. You know, that's it, it's just a piece of paper. It's not much wor worth much. Um, but I must say, it it strikes me as something that has 
done something that South Africa has never experienced, at least in, you know, since 1996 and up to 1996, this idea that parliament is not the ultimate power, that politicians are not the ultimate deciders of what you as a citizen might be entitled to or not. Do you think that would be a fair, you know, a point to make to say that if if nothing else, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution has cut down on what we might call parliamentary sovereignty or the rule of politicians to something much closer to the rule of, of, of rights and perhaps the rule of law. Um, look, it's, it's crucial, particularly, ironically, because the government does not is not uh, naturally democratic and w and rails against a lot of what's in the constitution. It's the fact that it exists, even if it's in practice whittled down or not properly observed by parliament, the fact that it is still there gives the legal fraternity a distinct um, measure by which to pursue somebody's rights and for an individual himself, but usually it's done in, it would need to be done in the legal context. Um, so, for for example, although there may be very distinct laws um, regarding property rights, um, you know how you own a property, a farm, etc., it's the very fact that at the at the essence of it is that those whatever sub rights, like the ownership of property, may be, they they you cannot go beyond them just because you as Parliament um, would like to, if that if the failure to go to accord those rights would clash with the Bill of Rights. And uh, I'll use an, perhaps an example of uh, David Rukhase, who, who spent decades trying to get ownership of his land, which he was entitled to, to by law. And at the end of the day, when you've fought the Stalingrad strategy of the government in not getting to that point, the Constitution always underlies that that right, that that right be, 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 be covered. I mean, yeah, it's 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 it, it's quite wide ranging, um, and and they, they the laws the rights can be to some extent narrowed by legislation, but they're fundamental. They they really are about respect, protection, dignity, and if mm. nothing else tries tries, it won't always succeed because it's such life is is by its nature complex, but it's there to try and recognise that. Individuals may not simply be discarded from a from a protection of the law. I mean, I must say that uh, perhaps David Rakasi is such a great example to to bring up in this conversation because so often in pe people in our line of work might be asked, you know, what's the point? What's the point? You know, you know, the government isn't going to listen. Uh, what's the point of fighting for this right or that right? Perhaps now with the elections thing, what's the point of fighting for, for the right to vote now rather than February? But it, to me, a good answer would seem that, you know, if you care about the rule of law, if you want to live in a country where power isn't arbitrary, where your protection is just as strong as the person next to you, then all of these little instances of the violation of human rights become worth it because you're no longer just defending that right in isolation. You're defending the concept of the rule of law, the idea that a society can be just and not just power. Mm. And probably the, the cornerstone within the cornerstone, if I can put it that way, of the Bill of Rights, and this, this, this gives a very 
immediate sense of the importance is the freedom of expression, the right to say what you think, the right to think what you think. I, I mean, insofar as you read it, but but basically, it's that freedom. If that goes, it's it's a, it's creativity. It's about journalism. It's about whether you write a book. It's about even if you have pretty horrible opinions about things, if you you have a right to express them, and people have the right to challenge them. That's mm. that's what the freedom of expression. And when your freedom of expression goes, it impinges on almost everything else. Now, we, we having not had that that constitution under apartheid, they could do what. Create whatever law they liked, diminishing your freedom of expression, diminishing your freedom of person, um, ordering that you live in a remote homeland instead of where you worked and were brought up. Um, the the those the Bill of Rights is what protects you from that sort of crass abuse of power by a government. And and I think the 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 freedom of speech point um, is is quite central to the fight for freedom historically because whenever whenever you see in history a government either seizing power or seeking to expand its power it's that freedom perhaps ahead of any other freedom that they crack down on the books get burned the yeah. internet gets shut down or the, the twitter gets shut down i mean whenever you see oppression the violation of that human right of speech really isn't far behind well, you see, that, that's why it's so, it's so fundamental. I mean, you'll notice it in, in practice, use an example. Um, the Chinese government, which is known as authoritarian, can shut down the internet if something is being expressed worldwide that it doesn't like. Whereas if you try to do, even with all our ills, if you try to do it here or in England, um, there would be an outcry and interested parties or parties representing the, the freedom of expression would be in heading to courts quicker than you can imagine. So that there's something fundamental about that. If you can't express your approval or disapproval of your conditions, you, you know you're heading towards um, authoritarianism. I, I can think of an example that happened in Parliament a few years ago. I can't remember if it was with a, with a state opening or it was some occasion where a, a blocking device, a signal blocking device had been put in the press gallery and, uh, you know, 40, 50 journalists kicked up enough of a fuss that on the spot, that right to freely exchange ideas and information was rectified by, I mean, by uh, parliament and perhaps a government with some bad intentions. But because it wasn't parliamentary sovereignty, because there was something like Section 16 of the Constitution, the journalists were able to, I mean, we can think what we will of journalists, but the journalists were able to report on people who have power over us in a position that someone tried to deny them. And perhaps a last question as we, as we land this, this thing is, what's your take on human rights in South Africa? Is it healthy? Is it getting healthier? Is it getting worse? Where do you think we are falling in that journey or in respect to that destination? Well, I think, I think the problem, one of the problems with constitutions and including their Bill of Rights is that they are, they are lofty documents. Um, they, are a, they are an ideal you work towards constantly, never endingly. Um, Although we are all recognized by the Bill of Rights as being equal under the law, it's obviously if you're very wealthy, you can you can litigate 
in a way that you can't, even if you're middle class, let alone if you're poor. So the reality is that you have to have the systems to, to create that equality, and those are expensive, and they do rely on not having your um, society corrupted to the point where you can't afford anything. So the, it's, it's, a, it's a very complex thing. But if you don't have the fundamental right to strive towards, um, and the problem is the government, I think, over time is encroaching on a great deal of those rights, whether it be on the limitation of property, whether it be on the awarding of spectrum um, in communication, whether it be your right to what health services you may mm -hmm. procure in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of, particularly using health as, as an example, it's, it's, it's sort of working from the base that there's a limit to what the private sector is entitled to spend on mm. itself, forgetting that it has already given the government the money to spend mm. on people who can't afford to spend. Mm. So that's that's where the, the Bill of Rights, if you haven't got it there, it, there's nothing, it's very difficult to fight. I must say this series, in this series, it's been a, it's been a tough series to, you know, uh, find positives in, but I must say when it comes to the accessibility and the understanding that people can understand the law. South Africa is not doing great when it comes to the law and not discretion. It's doing okay, but not great. When it comes to equality, I don't think it's doing well at all. When it comes to the exercise of power, it's really hit and miss. I think on the human rights point of the rule of law and looking at Lord Bingham's you know, tick box of the presence or absence of the rule of law, perhaps human rights is one of the first points in the series where we can say, you know, we are in a better position now than we were 30, 50, 100 years ago, but we can be in a better position still. And that's why it's worth fighting for freedom and things like the Bill of Rights. Do you think that's a fair note uh, to, you know, is, cadenza it, on? It, it is because it, it really does. It's almost like a, literally like a safety net in that, if however much goes wrong and however much the government does wrong and laws may abuse you or not protect your rights, the, the Constitution and the, and the Bill of Rights in particular is there to try and at least act as some safety net. Without it, there's nothing to stop you from becoming completely authoritarian. And we saw it for the pre-1994. Well, I must say it is... It is always, always a pleasure to speak to you, Sara. And I must say our 15 minutes were very short, but I think they were a densely packed 15 minutes. And, you know, uh, I've often been described as dense. Um, but I must say that we, we, <laughs> we could, I, I look forward to continuing this series. And, and I want to tell our audience at home that, you know, the reason we are looking into this is to defuzzy, to de-abstractify, to de-dust this idea of the rule of law, to make the rule of law about you, to make the law about your freedom, because, as we say every week, your freedom is worth fighting for. Thank you very much, and see you next week.